John 16 is part of what's called the farewell discourse. Um, these are, are Jesus' last words um, to his disciples on, on the night of his arrest. Uh, and so that's quite profound. That, that the, These are the words that Jesus wants to leave with his disciples. And so before we look at this section in particular of the farewell discourse, um, I wonder, could we just think about that for a moment uh, and consider the context of, of the passage into which Jesus speaks? And there's 12 men we call the, the disciples who are two chapters away from the bottom of their worlds falling out. And up to this point, these men, they've been engaged in in Jesus' ministry. Uh, They have seen things that they couldn't have imagined seeing. They've seen signs and and miracles and healings. They have seen compassion and love in its most pure and most beautiful form, as Jesus has administered it to others. And they've encountered the, the, the weight of truth as, as Jesus spoke, as he, as he spoke and, and people around him marveled and said, no one has ever spoken like this before. No one has ever spoken with the weight of authority like, like Jesus speaks. And it was truth that, that would resonate in the soul of a person and not truth that would align with the way that they were, that they were thinking. And these, these, these disciples, they received a call to follow Jesus, the source of all these things. And it was a mysterious call that, 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 that defied logic. It was a mysterious call that none of them could really understand, and yet none of them could deny. It, it was a call that, that, despite costing them livelihoods and relationships and reputations, it was a call that they had no choice but to obey. And whatever all this was that that, that these men were were experiencing, whatever it was, they knew it was at the very center of their soul's purpose. They they, they knew that, that they had found and celebrated in what their souls had been longing for when they found Jesus. And that's the context of of how Jesus is speaking. And at this stage in chapter 16, these men have no idea what's coming. These men have no idea of the sorrow that is going to accompany the sunrise of, of, of that morning. But Jesus does. And in his last words, he speaks. And he says, in a little while... You will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Now, we can't be too hard on the disciples for not understanding and how confused they became. We have the knowledge of the whole story, so we can look back with hindsight, and we could make a guess about what Jesus means when he says this, we can guess that Jesus is really saying, he's saying, in a little while, I'm going to be dead. But then in a little while after that, I'm going to be raised to life. Or he could mean, in a little while, I'm, I'm going to ascend to the Father, and you're not going to see me. But then after a little while, the Holy Spirit will come. 
at Pentecost. But the context of the passage is that the disciples know none of those things the way we do. They, they do not know that there is a bigger, uh, fuller picture yet to play out. And in verse 19, we read that Jesus sees their confusion. And so in verse 20, he says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep, you will mourn, while the world rejoices, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now again, the context might be that the disciples sorrow and heartache at Calvary was in the presence of mocking and people who enjoyed it and even celebrated in the death of, uh, of Jesus. It could be that context, but maybe we could move from theirs and just step into our context this morning. Because if you've ever been acquainted with grief, and I'm going to assume that most of us have, one thing you might have noticed about yourself is how resentful you can be that the world around us keeps going on without a second thought. You can go to bed and your heart can be overflowing with sorrow and you could think, how dare the sun come up the next day? As if it's just another day. How dare people just get on the bus and go to work? Uh, how dare they laugh? And, and how, how dare they go on holiday? Or how, how, how dare they make plans with their friends? Don't they know that my world has screeched to a halt with the gravity of my grief? Or if you're living with pain or if you're starting to lose your, your mobility, or, or if you've had a diagnosis that might mean you've only one more Christmas to see. You might feel acutely the comparison of, of your own trials and your own heartaches and compare it to those who seemingly have none. The author George Bernard Shaw wrote, The man with a toothache thinks everybody else is happy if their teeth are sound. You see, when we're overcome with sorrow or grief or pain, it not only feels like we're alone. It not only feels like it's unbearable. It not only feels like an injustice, but it can feel like a figurative losing sight of Jesus, the way he says. We can't see him. And maybe it's been more than a little while for you. Maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online or, or, or listening and because of grief or because of heartache or because of a burden, it's been a long time since Jesus has been in any focus. And you're wondering, how long will my little while last? I, I don't know if you saw anything last week on, on the news about the Church of Scotland and the statement that one minister had made on the BBC Four Sunday programme. But um, I'm going to quote, quote him. Um, he said, The Bible and what it says should be reinterpreted in the light of contemporary thinking. We're developed. We've grown better. We know more. And so we should read the scriptures in that light. And so the Bible should give way 
to how we think and feel. Now, for those of us who cherish the Bible as God's Word, through which the Holy Spirit speaks, through which we see and encounter Jesus, and through which we are rebuked and encouraged and nourished and renewed, we should be aghast at any thought that the Bible gives way to how we feel. But isn't it so easy for us to do that in grief? In the turmoil of grief, we can so easily allow the Bible to give way and disregard the things that God has said reinterpret our experience as believers through the lens of what we experience rather than through the lens of what God has said. So what has God said? In this passage, he says you will grieve. Grief is not alien to the Christian experience. Regardless of how the gospel may have been preached Uh, to us in, in, in the past, we will not float through life without sorrow. And Jesus, the preacher, he makes a statement and he says, you will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. And then Jesus, the preacher, makes an illustration followed by an application. The illustration is a woman in labor. Jesus says, a a woman giving birth has pain because her time has come. A time of extreme pain, a time of great anxiety, a time where the only way to go is through the pain. Women who have given birth are thinking, yeah, and then some. Men who have accompanied their wives through labor will be familiar with that feeling of helplessness at seeing the woman you love in in that discomfort and pain. And yet to hold a newborn baby in your arms and to look into the face of the person who's been kicking your ribs from the inside is a joy that is on a separate plane and indistinguishable from all other joys. And Jesus says... When the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. There is a joy that can make anguish forgettable. So the heights of pain and the the, the depths of anxiety and all the unkind things that were said about and to your husband and the promises of separate beds from this time on, all those things will dissolve Into nothing as joy floods into a heart. It's a real life illustration that Jesus gives of anguish followed by joy that makes the anguish almost, almost nothing. It wasn't nothing, but the joy makes it seem so. And that's the illustration. Verse 22 then, Jesus gives us the application. He says, so with you. Now is your time for grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice. Now, I don't think it would be particularly helpful, men, if 
if, if, if your wife's in labor and you stroke her head and say, now don't worry, love, just another six or eight hours of this excruciating pain and, and there will be a joy coming that will make it all seem forgettable. I don't think that would help. That might be your own farewell discourse. I I don't think that's what Jesus means. Because I don't think the promise of joy is in any way intended to reduce or diminish how we should suffer. The same way being reminded there's always somebody worse off doesn't exactly negate or diminish your suffering. I don't think we should read this as a chin-up, try and find the the rainbow in the storm type of cliche. Now is your time for grief, Jesus says. And you can try positivity, or you can try comparison, or or you can try to assume a stoic philosophical attitude, but (laughs) there's only, only so much lipstick you can put in a pig. It's grief. It's sorrow and it's pain and it hurts and it's unbearable and it challenges our faith. And we're tempted for the Bible to give way. And we lose sight of Jesus. And yet here's Jesus with the full knowledge that these men that he loves are about to enter into their own crucible of sorrow. And they will find themselves in a world of hurt and a world of doubt and a world of fear. And they'll be on the Saturday after Friday and they will say, how could this be true if I feel like this? And they don't have our hindsight. All they have is the words of Jesus with which he reminds them of the overarching hope that the gospel always brings to life circumstances. Folks, there's always hope with Jesus. Now is your time of grief, but I'll see you again and you will rejoice. The crucifixion will be followed by the resurrection and that will bring joy. Or or the ascension will be followed by Pentecost and that will bring joy. In our immediate, in our immediate, it is possible that an experienced joy can be encountered in and through suffering. There is such a thing as a sorrowful joy Unexpected meaning and blessing to be found in trials. Joy to be experienced through tears. I'm reticent to speak of such things because they belong within the mystery of the Holy Spirit's ministry to us. As the fruit of the Spirit grows in our life, we develop a joy and it's a mysterious joy. It's it's, it's a joy that the world is incapable of giving. And if the world is incapable of giving it, then the world is incapable of taking it away. 
So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. You see, we give, we, we give thanks to God for our health. But our joy does not come from our health because our health can be taken from us. We give thanks for our provisions and and our resources, but our joy is not in those things because those things can be taken from us. And we give thanks to God for relationships and friends and, and the people we love, but again, our joy does not come from those things because those people can be taken from us. Our health, our wealth, our loved ones, our pleasures, our safeties, our comforts were never designed to bear the weight of the joy that we expect from them. And all of our anguish is our souls cry for a joy that they cannot give. An indestructible joy. And our indestructible joy is Jesus. Jesus is the joy that cannot be taken from us. And like that mother who who looks into the face of her newborn, we can find the face of Jesus in our sorrows. And we will see the face of Jesus when he returns and makes all things complete. Or we will see the face of Jesus when we depart from the body and are with him. And to see Jesus is the indestructible joy for which our souls long. Now, I know there's sorrow this morning. And I know that my words might be futile and hollow and frankly might even feel a little bit insulting. Here's a guy who's never been in your shoes and he's telling you how to tie your laces. I know, I get it. So don't let me be your preacher this morning. But neither let how you feel be your preacher this morning. Don't allow the Bible to give way to how you feel, but preach the Bible to your grief. Speak the words of Jesus to our suffering this morning. In this world, you will weep and mourn. In this world, you will grieve. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, take heart because I have overcome the world. And there comes a time when the order of this world will pass away and the things that cause our grief will be a distant memory. Every tear wiped away, never to appear again. And our joy, the Bible says, will be complete for the throne of God, Revelation 22. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face. For now we see through a glass dimly. But then... In a little while, believer, then face to face. Oh, how faintly now I see 
with the darkened veil between, but a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. Face to face, O blissful moment, face to face to see and know, face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loved me so. We're going to see him again. And grief will be turned to joy. And that joy, the Apostle Paul says, will make those light and momentary afflictions of life achieve for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I wonder, by his Spirit, could we preach that to our sorrows and taste that hope? 